We're back. Hi. <laughs> We're back from our summer break. Thank you for sticking with us. Yeah. We're here. Yay. We are here for episode six of Do Us a Favor. Amazing. Bring it on. How's, <laughs> how's your, yeah, how's your break been? It's been okay. I think that lockdown lockdown? Lockdown two has impacted me more than the first lockdown. I feel oh, like. really? Even though it's shorter, yeah. Yeah, even though it's shorter and we, the, like, the, the ex- well, excitement's the wrong word, but the kind of anticipation of it has kind of gone and I don't know, I just feel really tired and I don't know, mm. I, like, I don't know what the word is, I just don't feel very good. Yeah. <laughs> like, mentally, speak, like, mentally, like, obviously, we could still go out and stuff, but I miss my family, I miss my friends. The um, I was going to say the the darker days don't help. I don't think. I think we'll definitely right. be seeing a lot more sad, as in like seasonal affective disorder this time. Yeah. And I suppose before people go for a walk in the evening after work or earlier in the morning, where now it's dark. Yeah. Then so it, yeah. it is unless you can you need to, like unless people I keep saying light that's annoying unless you can get out in the day by the time you're getting up for work or leaving work it can be dark. Yeah, it's depressing. And it's yeah, obviously where it's colder as well. It's not even like you're enticed to to go out in the dark and the cold and the wet. It's obviously yeah every every day. But yeah, apart from that, all good in the hood. What about you? Good. Um, I don't know why I said that so positively. Like, because what you said was a good. I was like, oh, good. Yeah. No. Well, what I hope you start to feel better now as things open up again. Yeah. Um, what I was gonna say? Yeah, not too bad. I've been obsessed with the crown. And then I've also been re-watching the different seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race. So I've just been obsessed with Queens. And that's been getting me through the second half of lockdown. And now, because Netflix knows this, everything that pops up is Diana's true story. So I'm just in a hole about the royal family at the moment. I love that, though. <laughs> I actually love that. Because, yeah. actually, The Crown was so good. It I was so it. good. But I think it, it gave them a worse light this series out of any of them. Yeah, and actually I think that it kind of took off a little bit more, mostly because where we're getting into the era of, like, Diana and Charles, yeah. that's our parents' kind of era, so yeah. they knew, they, they saw this happening. Yeah. It's kind of bringing it now kind of into present day, or it will do soon. Yeah, um, I'm so intrigued. But I even how... remember that day, you know. So, I don't know, were you born then? <laughs> what year was it? <laughs> Uh, 97 yeah you were born then I was three (laughs) you were baby though yeah so I remember was it in 97 yeah because Tony Blair was in and he advised the quick yeah it was um but I remember obviously I don't it must have been a weekend because I wasn't at school but I remember Mm. there being nothing on tv and my mom put this video of Tots tv on repeat (laughs) for me and I just had a lovely day but I remember my cousin's a lot older and I remember like she cried and phoned my auntie and everyone was all very upset. And my dad yeah. had gone off to work really early in the morning or coming back from work, sorry. And it was early in the morning because he was working in restaurants. So and it was all over the news and he came in and woke my mum up. And yeah, it was very bizarre. But anyway. speaking of royal, a, a kind of similar royal family. Yeah. Is the American version, the presidency um the election that is something that we also could not have missed during this lockdown and very much the topic of this week's episode this week this month's episode 
really excited to bring you this episode and the content within, um, mostly because at the time of recording, we're a couple of weeks after um, the actual election taking place. And a lot has still happened even beyond the actual election itself. Yeah. Um, Trump being Trump. And there's so much to delve into. So we're really excited to talk about the election, um, its its kind of outcomes, its impacts, why it's kind of gone on for so long, why it might still go on, um, and ultimately what it means for gender equality and inclu- inclusion in the US and internationally, because obviously the US is such an important player internationally. Yeah. And so to join us um, for this episode, we have a colleague of ours. John Bleed, who works in our American office and is all up to date and in the know on everything that's going on. So we picked him and prodded him for all the information (laughs) and I got really carried away and asked a million (laughs) questions. But hopefully you enjoy and um, learn something new from it. And we're back. Hi, welcome to the meaty part of the episode, which we're really, really looking forward to getting our teeth into. Um, with us today, we've got John Bleed, who is one of our brilliant colleagues who is based in the US, uh, specifically in the DC office. So that kind of means that he's in the middle of the political scene in the US right now, which is why we have got him with us today. Uh, John, you're really welcome here. Um, As mentioned, you're going to work with us and try and debrief on the US election, uh, the results, what happened after. And actually, no easy task there. (laughs) We'll be here for a while. (laughs) Um, And actually, like, first off, what's still happening? Because obviously, it's still totally ongoing at this point. Um, And then, towards like the latter half, we'll hopefully get into a bit more of the juicy stuff around what the election result means for kind of gender equality in the US today and over the next few years. Um, so John, I'll let you introduce yourself, um, give a bit, of, give us a bit of background as to your kind of history, um, and then maybe give us an update on actually where we are currently. Um, like we said, there's a lot going on. So just top level, what's the latest? Because I'm pretty sure the last thing I saw was that Trump's kind of given Biden the green light, but that might be totally misconstrued oh, over the pond. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, th- th- there's oh, one of the things you have to realize is that, you know, we don't even really know all the time what's happening and, and <laughs> with all the stream of information that's coming through and whether or not that's going to change with kind of a more traditional administration, uh, who knows, but yeah. it's uh, it's sometimes a little bit of a gray area over here as well. But again, yeah, my name is John Bleed. Um, I, I live in D.C. I, I have some experience in inside and outside government um, since since finishing school. Um, but uh, get the chance to work with uh, with Brits on a, on a daily basis, actually, kind of being an interlocutor and mm-hmm. an explainer of of U.S. politics and U.S. economics to uh, to to Brits and, and and British business. So it's a lot of fun for me because I love kind of being in that role and being in that middleman position. Um, I'm also a huge Europhile, so I like to <laughs> be able to have one foot in Europe and one and one foot in the United States whenever I get the chance. So mm-hmm. it's um, it's a good fit for me right now, but. In terms of where we are right now, um, I, I think it's it's very safe to say that you know Joe Biden is going to be the next president. He's going to be the 46th president of the, the United States. Um, the president in currently in, in office has not conceded the election. Um, but one of the things that I like to to tell people stateside and kind of overseas is that at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter if he concedes or not, uh, because the the way the U.S. Constitution works is that um, 
you know, once Joe Biden is administered the oath of office uh, on January 20th, Donald Trump is not president anymore. And he's just some guy kind of sitting in the White House if he chooses not to leave. That will, you know, honestly, in, in the worst case scenario, he'll be escorted off the premises by the he, Secret he, Service. He will so, leave, though, won't he? Like, he's not actually going to... I really hope not. I really hope not. And, and I think, I don't think he will. I think that people who are saying that he's going to stay the whole time is, no, I think he'll yeah. he'll see the writing on the wall eventually. But um, it, it's, um, you know, it's good to have faith in kind of the system that the U.S. has right now and that... Um, the, the votes have been counted and the incur, including all the absentee ones that even they t- though they took a while, they were still just as re- relevant and valid as, you know, the votes cast on Election Day. So we're going to have a transition. Um, the problem right now is that um, the Trump administration has been slow walking the formal transition process. Um, they did just announce, I think you might have mentioned to me yesterday that I think the, the General Services Administration, GSA, which is a very kind of little known aspect of the federal government has kind of started to give that green light on moving it. So um, we might start to be uh, heading that direction. Yeah, that, that's so interesting because I feel like the from the UK's point of view, I feel like we get a lot of diff, not not different information, but you know, I get a lot of my information from Twitter um, and just like the latest stream of tweets that kind of people are using the hashtags for and whatever the BBC saying is kind of where I get my information from. Katie, I don't know if that's the same for you. Yeah, I'm the same. I was going to say, so this is, a, this is a bit of a tangent. Does he actually need to be inauguration, but that would be quite rare for an, uh, a president not to, to be there? Oh, it would be immensely rare for that to happen. I mean, I don't think we've ever had that happen since... Um, you know, the, the modern kind of inauguration process mm. that's happened on the, ca- on you know, the front steps of the Capitol. Um, it's a pretty, it's a pretty, like, it's the closest thing that I think DC has to a sacred ceremony almost. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In a way it's, it's, uh, we don't have a ton of kind of traditions in the, uh, you know, political traditions in the United States that have been really, really long lasting because we're just a young country at the end of the day, but this is one of them. And for him not to show up would be a massive blow. And honestly, if I had to put money on it right now, I don't think he will. Yeah, that's what mm-hmm. I was thinking, because it reminds me a little bit of like our coronation. It's that kind of level of state mm-hmm. thing, isn't it? Yes. Um, and am I right? And Because the other thing, because you mentioned the votes. So have all the votes been counted and verified now? Is that kind of job done? Or are we still waiting on a few random bits? I think most of them have been already finished. I know that, you know, Georgia, I think, is um, just about solidified. Michigan just solidified their results in court yesterday. So we're, we're kind of at the tail end of that right now. Yeah. Do you think there was um, much voter suppression this time? Because I know I remember in the run up, people were saying, oh, you know, they're defunding the postal service to affect that. Um, And I don't know how much of that is kind of real conspiracy. Like, it's hard to know. But I know also there's the thing. Sorry, this is completely off topic. But for example, (laughs) it's. Am I right in something? Some states, if you've been to prison, you can't necessarily vote. And then I remember Snoop Dogg basically realized recently that he could actually vote. And for years he thought he couldn't because he'd previously been incarcerated or all this kind of stuff. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> all the important questions. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah but it is major. It is. Expression. No, it is. Yeah. So. Well, the, the, that's fascinating. I actually didn't know, I hadn't heard about that. So you're more in tune with uh, U.S. pop culture than I am right now. <laughs> but um, every state handles it differently. So election law in the United States is not a federal issue. Um, it, there are, you know, there are some kind of overarching rules, but, the way in which ballots are kind of distributed and and the, and the format is is a state issue, which makes it kind of you've got 50 different systems of how 
um, you know, eligibility is determined sometimes and, and, and that sort of thing. So it's, it's tough for even me to keep track of, and I'm someone who's, who's pretty in tune with this kind of thing. And um, in terms of, so the, the postal service conspiracy was interesting because, I mean, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, the city that I live in, Washington, is is a very, very politically active, you know, city. Um, it's really interesting, very interesting place to be. I love love living here. Um, but there is a tendency to kind of overreact to things sometimes. <laughs> so when when the Postal Service stuff started coming out that maybe the administration was slow walking some of the funding, there were signs that people were putting in yards saying, you know, we stand with the Postal Service and things like that. And it, it really didn't turn out to be that much of an issue because at the end of the day, I mean, states took the time that they needed to to count the votes that were that were necessary. I think and I think that is worth looking into on kind of the suppression aspect is where voter precincts are located, like the polling locations. That's not really a postal issue. It's really kind of an in-person issue. Um, there is a tendency to kind of um, slow walk or not place as many um, precincts in you know, if a state is kind of run by a certain party um, to, you know, and if there's a kind of a done on a demographic group, you know, minority, Hispanic, black American uh, to not place as many precincts in those areas if they can help it. So um, that is definitely an issue that I think has been addressed over time and it's gotten better, but oh, definitely still an issue in, in some states. I have a question just that's kind of going back to Trump and more about the Republican Party and the impact he's had on the party as a whole and more obviously like people have their opinions of Trump and I feel like we could do a whole episode just on him as a person and his family and everything like that but more around the political impact he's had on the Republican Party it's been known to be really quite extreme on the right you know ex extreme kind of policies extreme discussions taking place and what have you they can bounce back from his tenure in office or can I just add on to that do you think they want to because he didn't lose yeah. that badly, really. So I suppose it's do do they want yeah. to? Yeah, I mean, oh my goodness. I mean, this is something I could talk about for hours uh, <laughs> because you know I have I have a handful of Republican friends who probably fall on both sides of this question. Who you know the the traditionalists who are just like you know good riddance to bad rubbish. Thank goodness he's out of there. Mm -hmm. uh, but the problem is is that that's kind of a, a minority viewpoint right now. And something that that shocked me is that. Really, throughout the the, the first term of, of President Trump, I mean, he never really got above forty seven percent in the national approval ratings. Yeah. I mean, maybe forty eight on you know forty eight forty nine, but in the Republican Party, on people who identified as Republicans, his approval rating never went below ninety percent the entire time, and it was above upwards of ninety five at sometimes. Wow. And that's just that's insane. That really, is really high. Yeah, because mm. what it says is moderates and even people who tend to vote Republicans sometimes but aren't identified aren't really a big fan. Democrats certainly aren't fans, but people who identify with that particular part with the GOP are all in for, for Trump. Mm -hmm. And that really hasn't really ha hasn't happened to any kind of Republican leader. It didn't, didn't really happen to Reagan, who's kind of like the considered the, the founding father of kind of modern Republican politics. I mean, this this is really a, a full transformation, um, in my view, kind of a kind of borderline cult of personality that we're seeing in the base. But the problem is, is that a lot of Republican elected officials, you know, in Congress, you know, in the House and Senate um, are very much trying to kind of chart their own path and, and do what they can to um, advance their agenda. You know, there's frustration.
thing in Congress in, with Republicans in Congress with President Trump, but they know that the voter base that kind of put both of them there is very much on on this track. So it's almost like kind of a lose lose situation for a lot of them. But in terms of do I think they can come back? I think it really depends on the next couple of years because I mean we've already heard rumors in the U.S. press of that Trump is going to run again in 2024. So he won't, because I wondered if he was going to put forward one of his kids. Yeah, that's what we've heard a lot of. But actually, it's more likely he'll go for it. Yeah. The only one he trusts, I mean, he trusts Ivanka. I mean, Ivanka would do it. Um, Ivanka does have a future, actually, I think. That's, this is kind of a a different topic. I I think the one, the one person who has a future, I think, in, you know, long term would be Ivanka, because she's actually very capable, you know, herself, and is not nearly as, um, kind of reactionary or or um, even conservative on, on some yeah. of the issues that her dad is. But um, if he runs in 2024, the Republican base can respond in, in two ways. They can respond by kind of fully embracing him, or they can kind of respond what happened to kind of, if, if you're familiar with Sarah Palin, when she yeah. was the, oh. the VP nominee in 2008. So she was kind of considered the heir apparent when that happened. She was the the darling of kind of the the real conservative parts of the U.S., she had a huge role to play in the 2010 midterms when the Republicans took back the House from the Democrats for the, you know, for the first time in, uh, you know, probably six years or something like that, four years, I think. And after that, she kind of fell off a cliff, like yeah. the kind of the voter base kind of saw through her and saw that she wasn't really, I mean, and, you know, capable or really mm. she wasn't a very serious person. She was just kind of doing it for media appearances and attention. And people saw through it and they kind of ignored her. And I'm wondering if the fact that Trump has lost, that he's got a loser kind of label on him now, that maybe eventually some of that kind of um, approval that we've seen, the 95%, will will start to kind of fade off a little bit. Um, And I can actually, I can see that happening. Um, But on the policy, I think some of the policy changes that Trump has made to the Republican Party are here to stay. Um, Skepticism towards um, internationalism, international trade, um, kind of a support for a more kind of robust industrial policy, um, you know, kind of moving away from libertarian economics. I think that's, I think that's going to stay actually. I think, I think Biden on both, both sides, I think represents just a reset. I think his biggest legacy, I mean, if if he were to kind of draw up what he wants to be remembered for, excuse me, as president is, um, taking care of the coronavirus pandemic being the first issue. I mean, he said that's his first issue as president. He's going to be putting almost all of his effort into that. And then kind of secondary to that, just resetting America's role in the world. Um, Maybe kind of in between there's room for an infrastructure bill. Um, So infrastructure reform is something that really hasn't happened in the U.S. since the 70s. Everyone talks about it in, you know, whenever there's a new president, um, it became kind of a joke in D.C. that, the Trump administration was going to have uh, a section of time dedicated to infrastructure, and it never happened. So, you know, there's room for bipartisan agreement on, you know, rebuilding bridges and roads and highways and airports and having kind of public-private partnerships there. And that's an, uh, a legacy builder for for Joe Biden because if he gets to kind of have his mark on better roads and 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 public, you know, centers of of transportation. Um, he'll be remembered for that for forever, just like Eisenhower is remembered for building the U.S. interstate highway system in the 50s and 60s. So there are room. There's plenty of room for him to have kind of a a significant 
you know, uh, what, what, what am I looking for? Significant legacy just in four years. But I don't think he should be coming in expecting to roll back everything or kind of be the savior that he can't be. He can only be who he is. And what he is is a um, pragmatist center left guy who wants to kind of just even the country out a little bit and kind of tone, turn the temperature down. And do you think that kind of from a from a Biden point of view, obviously, if we're thinking about like the Senate and what have you, do you think he'll even have the ability to kind of get bills through, get legislation through, you know, the scrutiny process or these, you know, the way that the, the, the results have kind of come out of the election? Do you think he'll be able to make those kind of if he wanted to large scale changes or big bills, if it was kind of crime or infrastructure or whatever, do you think yeah. he will actually be able to make a difference? Or do you think, kind of linked to what Katie was saying, do you think the next four years will just be dominated by COVID and his mm-hmm. reaction to COVID? Because that's what I think I'm quite like, a, if you haven't guessed it, I'm quite a cynical person, or quite, <laughs> quite like glass half empty. Um, and I, I just feel like if you're coming in now to term or to, even if you're leading a business or anything, your the next few years will be dominated by how you have reacted to covid and i just wonder if like there's a lot there to unpack but if, yeah. if that might be an issue yeah i know there's a or lot an opportunity. there yeah and and i think it, it does depend on the fact of where the senate ends up so we have those two special elections in georgia coming up yeah. um i am i'm someone who doesn't see i mean the, it's very rare for the situation to happen so just as a quick backstory um Senate elections happen on a staggered basis. So not every senator is up for a re-election every six years. Um, the way, the reason that there are two, both senators up for election in Georgia right now is one was a special election that was done after um, the, the previous one had to retire for health reasons. So they were appointed um, and not elected and they had to kind of win their seat back via election at the same time as the other one was up for his term you know, on, on a normal basis. So it's very difficult for me to see Democrats winning two Senate seats in Georgia. It, it just is. Um, that's kind of where I'm at. Maybe I'm being a little bit too um, aggressive on that front. You know, Georgia is a purple state. You know, it, it, I think that both sides need to under, need to recognize that. There is definitely a Republican unwillingness to think that Georgia is ever really seriously in play. But I, I do think that on special elections, when there's no kind of president on the ticket, Republicans probably have a, an advantage on on voter turnout there. Um, so that's kind of what I think. But leading back to the original question, um, what can Biden do really in the four, in the next four years worth Congress? Um, I think two things. I mean, I think that you said COVID gonna dominate for the next few years. Um, he's gonna want kind of a larger stimulus bill to go through in the first few uh, months of his term um, across the board. Uh, they're actually, the Biden campaign and the transition team is actually working behind the scenes right now with Democrats to say, we actually want you to pass a stimulus bill right now, even before we, even if it's not big, it just has to be something to get us through the holidays. It doesn't matter if Donald Trump gets to take credit for it. We want it. Um, And then kind of when they take office the next few months, they'll try to say, okay, here's our ambitious plan. Um, And then the second one would be infrastructure. I think Republicans want to work with Biden on infrastructure. Um, However, some of the more kind of ambitious um, left-leaning aspects of kind of the democratic platform, um, a, a rollback of kind of the, the tax bill that went into effect in 2017, um, a reform of um, the banking industry, trying to kind of shore up the Dodd-Frank stuff that Obama did. 
that that seems a little tougher for me because I don't think Republicans will want to play ball on that. Um, yeah. Again, this is just party politics at the end of the day. Um, probably not going to be a massive congressional climate um, package or initiative. Um, I think there's room for a climate kind of first policy to take effect in different areas. You know, Biden could say any trade agreement that we negotiate has to have climate and green energy provisions in it. That's something the Trump administration didn't care about. Yeah. So there's room for them to, to leave their mark at an executive level on foreign policy, on trade, um, as I said, kind of on a relational aspect. But in Congress, I think areas in the next two, three, four years. Because again, you get three years into a presidential term and then the election starts again. So <laughs> yeah, the, the, the time, crazy. the window of actually getting stuff done is pretty small. It's small, yeah. So yeah. I, okay, I've got like so many questions off the back <laughs> of that. I'm going to list a few and then maybe just pick one. But um, so a couple <laughs> of things. So um, I suppose it, on, on the, some of the more kind of liberal policies from the Democrats or things that are existing, it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on whether some of the things that are currently in place are, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, but yeah, the Supreme and the judges that have come in under Trump and whether we could see a rollback on some kind of more liberal policies. The other thing I was going to talk about was Georgia again, because it was interesting that you said it was actually more of a purple state, because I'd always just assumed it was pure Republican. Obviously, it voted Democrat this time, and um, the African-American vote was kind of seen as a key proponent in that. So just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on whether actually... The Democrats do kind of take for granted the African-American vote. Well, you know, did they win because it was anybody but Trump? Um, how, what kind of the power of that vote coming through um, yeah. and whether kind of all politicians on all sides need to start taking the African-American vote more seriously, but also across other kind of people of colour. Um, yeah. And then the yeah. other thing. Oh, man. <laughs> that, oh, sorry. Man. Other thing was basically Biden, four years. He's unlikely to maybe stand again maybe he will Kamala Harris kind of is is he just paving the way for her um yeah I suppose those are my questions there's a this lot is so interesting yeah you know I love talking about this stuff um I'll, I'll do that last thing first yeah very unlikely for for us to see Joe Biden run again I think he sees again we talk about legacy I think he sees himself as a one-term unity candidate a transition candidate um a, a recentering candidate. Um, I, I'd love for that to happen. Really, I think honestly, in my view, the country. There, there was a really good op-ed I saw in in FT um, before the election, basically saying the fact that Joe Biden is boring is a good thing, and it's exactly yeah. what the United States needs because we need to stop basically placing, you know, politicians on a pedestal and creating kind of these cult of, cults of personality around them. So I'm pumped about the next few years, honestly, because I'm looking forward for. Um, aspects of what the the presidency is to be boring again it's going to be great but um i absolutely do i i think he's going to be paving the way for kamala harris i think that it was one of the reasons why he picked her i think you know she, this is a, a really extraordinary moment honestly right now in the u.s to have our first female vp um and that i think is something that people on both sides can recognize um but i definitely think that um she's going to be the nominee in 2024 for the for the democrats um on whether or not Democrats take the African-American vote for granted. Um, I actually think they do. I do. And I think they saw that actually happen um, in this election. So the, the Trump campaign made significant inroads with African-American men in this election and Hispanic-American men, actually, especially in Texas and in Florida. 
where the Biden campaign made tremendous um, changes and, and inroads with women and with elderly voters, two of the, the contingencies that Trump won handily in 2016, the, the Biden kind of came in and wiped that advantage out. But the problem is, is that the Trump actually made inroads with minorities. So Biden won, obviously, in, in most of these, these swing states and giving him kind of that big electoral college um, margin. Um, but if, if kind of he had held st steady on some of these minority coalitions that Barack Obama and even Hillary Clinton had um, to a smaller extent, the, the win would have been even more, even more significant. So you start you started to see cracks in there. I think something like I saw one in three black men in the Midwest um, voted for Donald Trump, um, which is interesting. And then in on the Hispanic side of things, we saw um you know, upwards of 20% shift in um, Georgia, Texas, Ohio, uh, Florida, especially with kind of the Cuban American vote. Um, so what it is, it's just a, it's an, uh, the Democrats need to understand, which I'm sure many of them do, um, that minority votes are not a monolith and that they have kind of individual concerns. You know, there's a difference between what Cuban Americans in Florida are concerned about versus, um, you know, Latin American voters and kind of Texas border towns versus, um, you know, those contingent, you know, located in urban areas versus the Rust Belt. And there needs to be kind of a grand strategy that Democrats do that focus on kind of regional concerns and not necessarily just um, demographics, I think. Um, so, yeah. Another actually interesting side note on kind of the role of, of black voters in the in the election, despite kind of these inroads that the Trump campaign made, um, I actually would probably argue that black Americans are the reason why Joe Biden is president right now, mm. because when he was in the, in the primary system, I mean, this is right when COVID kind of hit. So it kind of is a wash in our memories right now, but he was really struggling in the primaries to some other, some of the other candidates and the South Carolina primary came along, which is where I went to school. I, I pay attention to, to South Carolina politics when I can. And the black South Carolinian demographic vote, delivered for Joe Biden across the board. I think he won it by like 35%, just mm. completely crushed everybody because of kind of the endorsement of some of the the, the black South Carolinian um, political apparatus. And that gave him momentum to win a few other states after that in the primary system. And all of a sudden, all of his competitors started dropping out because they realized that the unity kind of consensus candidate was coming together and they didn't really have a shot against him. So again, no matter you know what I what I just said on kind of Democrats needing to rethink their strategy, they owe really this election to them. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a kind of a, a combination of don't take them for granted and also understand that um, they played a huge role. Yeah, sorry, that was a lot. <laughs> no, that was that was amazing. So I was going to say, is that I don't know if that if you know this, but whether there's a gender split there or not, maybe an age split because there's um, I can't remember the name of the bill now, but I know there was the kind of three strikes and you're out um, kind of policies. Is that with uh, which kind of disproportionately impacts Black African Americans? Um, and then Biden was involved. It was in busing. Um, a bill to do with that as well. So I think Kamala Harris, for example, previously has used that kind of three strike policy when she was a prosecutor and then yeah. Biden was involved in the busing um, segregation issue. So I just wondered if you think that they maybe have more popularity with a certain demographic within the kind of black community, whether it's yeah. older, younger, or whether you think it's not quite as clear cut as that. 
Yeah, I, I don't have any information on that actually, or any, any stats. I, I wouldn't want to make a prediction that's yeah. um, that's not true or anything. But I will say that the Trump campaign used those three things that you said um, in their campaign. They said Joe Biden was, you know, an author of the crime bill in 1994 that, that's it, that yeah. led to kind of the huge incarceration of of African American men. Um, Kamala Harris was a prosecutor in California that disproportionately went after you know people maybe with kind of minor misdemeanors. Um, that sort of thing. I mean, whether or not these things are true, these or or are over exaggerated, that's what the campaign did. And I think it, it it's probably evident that it worked a little bit, but definitely obviously not enough to win <laughs> the entire thing. <laughs> I was gonna say, I don't know if I was gonna quickly say, um, I just wanted back on quickly on the point about whether you think we could see a rollback on some of the policy kind of more liberal policies in America. So for example, I know there's concerns about abortion rights um, and whether kind of a more conservative Supreme Court, which is like a Trump legacy there because he's appointed quite a few people, hasn't he? Um, whether you think that might happen and we, whether we're going to see maybe a rollback on some kind of equality rights or mm. you think that will be okay? Yeah, I think it's an interesting issue. I think that a lot of people have been, have been rightly focused on it as well. I think the good a good way to find a focus on it is kind of where is kind of the, the the public opinion in the country right now, and I and I think that especially kind of the institutionalists on the courts, like John Roberts, who's the the chief justice, is very much a guy who's trying to prevent the Supreme Court from turning into a kind of a political tool, um, no matter what either side does. I mean, I think that he's really trying to kind of stand in the center and say, no, the court is an equal as a co-equal third branch of government that must stand alone, must stand on, uh, apart. And they are not, and, and collectively, I think most of them would probably agree with each other that they don't want to kind of move necessarily ahead of kind of, you know, where there are, where the public opinion is on kind of these issues. You know, if you were to, um, I'm not exactly sure what the numbers are, but um, most of the country on kind of, again, on, on abortion, the vast majority of the country, um, or not vast majority, but a, a decent majority of the country would probably say, yeah, it, it probably sh it should be accessible um, and safe and, you know, and accessible mm -hmm. to to where it matters. But, you know, the, the country probably doesn't want it to be much farther than that or kind of, um, you know, uh, in, in kind of a ground that would be uncomfortable for them. I mean, I think back to what Bill Clinton said in the, in the 90s of kind of this safe, legal, rare aspect of, of abortion. I actually probably think that despite what we see kind of on um, rhetoric on the Republican side and maybe rhetoric on some of the more progressive side, that's probably where most of the country is. Um, if you even on people who are religious or people who are not religious, I think that's really if you if you settle all the dust, that's probably where they are. And I, and I think that, you know, institutionalists like John Roberts know that and are not going to try to move ahead of that. So I, I don't see something like Roe v. Wade, the, the 1972 bill that that kind of cemented that. I don't necessarily see them to, uh, the Supreme Court taking that up. Um, I think if they did, uh, there would be immense pressure on them to kind of make this mass kind of judgment that would sur surpl surpass Roe v. Wade, even if they were to uphold it or overturn it. I don't think that there's a lot of desire to do that right now, um, mm -hmm. just because I think there's just so much concern about the court being used as a as a political weapon. Now, there are conservatives on the court, you know, like, Alito and, and maybe even Justice Thomas, who would be very who would say this isn't a partisan issue. We we think that this is abuse of um, constitutional overreach. Mm. And Roe v. Wade is, you know, no matter what you think about abortion, Roe v. Wade is 
is not a good um, judgment. You know, I think that that's probably not where the majority of the court is, but um, maybe I'm probably being a little bit optimistic. I'm kind of approaching this from what is the court trying to think of as an institutional perspective and, and preserving some of that integrity, I think will hopefully overshadow some of the partisan um, rhetoric on the issue um, with that kind of understanding that most of the country is kind of in this balanced, um, you know, kind of less reactionary um, of view on that. I don't know if that made any sense <laughs> at all. No, it did completely. It did. It did. It actually made me feel a bit better. Because <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm being too, uh, you know, happy-go-lucky on this. But I, I think that that's, you know, if it's just kind of where I'm at right now in terms of how I think about the issue. And you know, I think that, um, yeah, you know, I think that we're we're the 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 state of the court. I think is is probably the most important issue to think about here. Of, um, you know. It's not really in a good, I don't think it's in a very good spot right now because of kind of how the Trump administration handled this last um, appointment, mm. um, even though it was fully within his right to do it, you know, and um, he had the authority and, you know, a Democratic president probably would have done the same thing if he was in his spot, but or he or she was in his spot. Um, it's just kind of the reality of kind of the way that the court can be weaponized as kind of a, a political tool. Yeah. Yeah, I find that really, um, to uh, my my degree is if I studied law and like the one thing that we always said you know it has to be certain and it's impartial and here the the idea of a kind of political tie with the courts is just ludicrous like it's just we we absolutely don't go there so I find it so interesting that in America it is so politicized and that mm -hmm. there these are political appointments essentially um it's quite scary but yeah it's, it's they're, interesting. Not, they're not supposed to be political appointments I mean uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was confirmed uh, 95 to zero. <laughs> yeah, 95 to zero. Yeah. Because at that point, the the court was not as politicized as it was, and even Republicans knew that she was qualified. Yeah. You know, and she and she didn't get a single vote against her. Yeah. I wish we could have returned to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's not quite where it is now, though, is it? <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> Good stuff. Tanisha, I do because I know you're always really interested in kind of like AOC and the squad. So I didn't know if you I was gonna pick up on that because I know <laughs> I'm gonna... <laughs> I I was gonna jump on it, but I felt like it needed a bit of a transition. So thank you for that. No, thank I'm you. just gonna drop it in. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the I don't know, I feel like for me, I so I did politics at uni and for me I actually like specialised in American studies. I was totally it interested in the US political space I basically grew up and have continued to watch the West Wing a gazillion times and it's my favorite show oh yeah, yeah like so good, I've never actually watched so it. good. It's if you want to feel good about America ever just watch the West Wing and then Literally. pretend that's reality just okay. pretend yeah <laughs> I think Scandal if anyone watched that that got a bit weird in the end but uh <laughs> Scandal's more, yeah, Scandal's more modern. The West Wing, though, it's just classic. The acting is so good. And I feel like even watching it back now, this is such a tangent, but even watching it back now, I feel like some of the storylines are still a little bit exaggerated, but it's just like 10 out of 10. Love it. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> Anyway, the question, though, that is on my mind all the time is like, how do we get, at like a very high level, how do you get women across all intersectionalities, 
whether you're kind of LGBT, whether you're disabled, whether you're black, Indian, whoever you are as a woman, how do you get into politics? And is the political environment that is currently in the US at the moment, it seems to be more, well, not we're not 100% there yet, but it seems to be more welcoming to different females. The squad, I feel like, from obviously sitting really far away, has gone quite a long way to encourage maybe voter turnout that's a bit more diverse the use of kind of their role on social media and getting people involved AOC in particular she just has taken the political scene from again like from where we're stand where we're standing by storm um and for me I'm just kind of interested in your views in is that the same from the US point of view do you kind of see the squad and, and AOC kind of having that positive impact on females and just generally speaking, like, what is the situation in the US in trying to get women into politics? Because it's definitely something that the UK is trying to improve upon, uh, but it's not doing very well. And yeah. the, the, just to add on to that, on the last election, we had a lot of women stand down as well, just because stand of down. the, the yeah. abuse that had been happening with kind of Brexit and safety issues and concerns. So yeah, here it's quite volatile. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll, I'll do the kind of the women in politics thing first, and then AOC and, and company. Yeah, second. So I think you're exactly right. I mean, I think as more women kind of continue to enter the field, which we have seen that really in, in the last few elections, I think the example that it will show to women and kind of especially young girls who are interested in this, I think the, the example becomes all the more powerful, the more the more um, role models there are in, in the field to be to, to play with. And, and I say this for both sides, actually, you know, the squad is, you know, AOC, Ilhan Omar and and those reps have, have had a huge impact on this. But also, you know, there are 13 Republican women entering the House for the first mm, time yeah. this year. And six of the eight seats that Republicans flipped in the House, you know, remember, Republicans were expected to get crushed in the House and they actually ended up picking up a few seats. Well, six of the eight seats that they picked up were women. And that's something that can't be ignored either. Um, but again, I think the biggest example is probably right now, I mean, we have a female vice president uh, yeah. or going to have a female vice president. And I mean, it's just, it's pretty extraordinary when you think about it, of someone who is coming in, you look at the list of, of vice presidents before who have been chosen. Um, and the statement that Joe Biden made was, um, you know, I'm kind of this transition kind of elder statesman figure, uh, but this is who I want kind of um, yeah. alongside me. And it's a great message to be sent. Um, so I think what you're going to be seeing is an exponential curve of more women entering politics, the more that you see kind of representation in there um, because of these trail these are really trailblazers at the mm, end yep. of the day um, that you know no matter what part of the country um, even really kind of despite your party um, women can win I think that's another big example is that you don't have to be considered like a, a long shot candidate women can win um, and you know breaking down these false perceptions um, is huge and I'll bring up another thing it's very possible that 2024 the nominees for both parties are female minority candidates. Uh, between Kamala Harris and then Nikki Haley, who was who's, uh, U.S. Who, ambassador. Who's Nikki, Nikki Haley? So Nikki Haley was uh, the former governor of South Carolina um, and was ambas oh. U.S. ambassador to the United Nations for two years from oh, wow. uh, in the beginning of the Trump administration. Yeah. She left two years ago, kind of trying to preserve her own identity and her own status and not be too tied to the Trump name. But she's a you know daughter of two Indian immigrants uh, in South Carolina and has kind of a, had a meteoric rise and she's considered, I mean, one of the, one of the mainstream favorites to run for president in, in a few years. So to go from two um, 
75 plus year old white men to <laughs> two female minorities in four years would be pretty extraordinary. It's actually. huge. Yeah. Be amazing. Yeah. Um, on, on AOC, um, I think it's in company. I, I think it's a little tougher to say because I mean, progressives didn't really have a good showing in this election. I mean, they mm-hmm. had a very good showing in 2018 when kind of they all came in. Um, but, you know, the majority of the American electorate didn't really kind of endorse this kind of blue wave of Democrats taking back the Senate and unseating Republican incumbents um, in the House and Senate, really. Um, they can claim victory, definitely, on some statewide issues. So there were some statewide referendums on marijuana issue, yeah. you know, legalization that yeah. went through. So it kind of shows that the country is getting a little bit more progressive on some of those issues, um, kind of underneath the radar. Um, but by and large, I think Joe Biden's kind of centrist status is what carried him to victory in yeah. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. Um, it's also tough to really measure how many American voters really know who AOC is. I mean, I, I, I live on Twitter as well. So again, she's her, her she has an extraordinary voice and extraordinary right. influence. Uh, and that shouldn't be discounted. I mean, she really is the American dream at the end of the day. I mean, yeah. she was a 29 year old bartender yeah. who got elected yeah. to Congress. I mean, it's, it's fantastic really. But, um, you know, to your average voter, swing voter in Ohio mm-hmm. or West Virginia, um, I'm not really sure if people know who know who she is. But that's you know, so interesting because it, I a bubble, right? Is, like we I, live in a bubble, a social do. bubble where we know. I know a lot about her, yeah. <laughs> which is just weird because she's got no bearing on my life at all. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, do you know what I mean? Like I, the average American probably doesn't. But I thought she'd kind of. So you know, some politicians kind of go above politics. So yeah. Sarah Palin, for example, she kind of went above politics, didn't she? Like Tina Fey did a Saturday Night Live yes. sketch <laughs> of her. People over here knew who she was. Yeah. Was it like the hockey mom or whatever? I don't know. But yeah, like, yeah. Um, so I thought Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez was, was like above it, if that makes sense. Like I've seen her do, um, so this is really random, but Vogue do these things where basically um, someone will t- show you like a day of them doing like how they do their makeup for like a standard makeup look. And then they talk about issues. And she did one. It was amazing. And she spoke about you should register to vote, what her politics were. So she used that kind of, a bit of a random platform to talk about something. So I just thought that she was above it. But it's she, interesting. she is, in a yeah. sense. She does have a platform. I'm not not trying to discount that. And I think that anyone who kind of remotely pays attention she did knows Twitch. who AOC she is. Is it Twitch? Like the gaming She yeah. She streams on Twitch, yeah. She plays And it. she does Instagram Live and, and things. Yeah. I mean, she's very, no. So even she anyone who's kind of remotely in tune with what's going on, mm. and, I, and I can say, you know, someone who turns CNN on, you know, once every couple of days, that kind of thing. AOC is very well known in that area. Um, but, you know, not everyone watches cable news and not yeah. everyone is kind of in tune with that. But again, I, I don't want to discount her role at all. I'm not trying to do that, but yeah. I'm trying to say like, bear, you know, did she swing kind of the election in a certain direction? Yeah. Um, I'd have to maybe see a little bit more, uh, would love for maybe there to be a little bit more research on that. I'm not sure. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, she's, yeah, I mean, her impact is, is unquestionable. But yeah. she's not quite Beyonce yet. That's what we're saying. She's not, not quite, quite that Beyonce. Status. Okay. <laughs> um, so I had a really, because I'm really conscious of time, and I did, I'm sorry, I feel like I'm dominating, but I've got so many questions. I've got no, 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 go a question, which I'm really keen to ask. So you mentioned before that Trump, you, you could imagine Trump maybe running again, but at some point you think Ivanka has a future. 
which is which really fascinating. And you said that she actually wasn't quite as extreme in some of her views, not quite as conservative as Trump. Yeah. So I just wondered if there were a couple of areas where you think she is less conservative that you could pinpoint to, or just whether you think, for example, she would wait maybe like a 10 year period for this all to kind of calm down and then would come back on the scene or whether you think she'll try and keep a bit of a presence, maybe be a kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, a, a kind of opposition, whether, yeah, whether you think she'll kind of have to go away, come back or try and keep a presence. Yeah, great question. I think that she is definitely someone who will not try to basically just copy and paste her dad's what her dad did i think that you know her her other her two brothers you know don jr eric i mean there's rumors of him doing that if he were to ever run he would basically just try to copy and paste everything that don his dad did um kind of on identity politics on you know regional issues um america make america great again rhetoric that sort of thing um i don't really know if he would be successful there because again so much of what trump made donald trump successful is kind of his name his brand the recognition he is the of the personality he's the guy and his yeah. son is just not you know at the end of the day but what what ivanka probably has a potential to do and again I, I don't want to kind of make any bold predictions here um but you know she fought for tooth and nail a few years ago to get kind of some some family leave and, and child tax credit uh things into the tax reform bill which are not traditional Republican policies. I mean, yeah. there has been kind of a shift. And again, as I mentioned, kind of this shift in the Republican Party to more kind of working class, um, industrial um, base, that sort of thing. There's been a, with that has come kind of a willingness to embrace um, kind of government support for family, you know, issues and um, getting tax breaks for people who have kids and that sort of thing, which, which is not something that really any Republican administration has, has done yeah. that was really mostly Ivanka actually behind the it, scenes that shouldn't be a feminist issue but essentially it is because exactly. uh, child yeah, child yeah. Uh, like child um yeah like responsibility in in a kind of heterosexual couple tends to lean more on women still so yeah that is kind of yeah child care oh, responsibility. yeah for sure and I, and I think that she she tried to distance herself from some of the immigration issues you know she was very very she was nowhere to be found on anything on the border wall issues on illegal immigration. She tried to wash herself clean of that. Um, she wasn't really involved in many of the foreign policy issues. Um, but what she did try to do is she tried to come in to, you know, Davos at the World Economic Forum and yeah. at the G7 and G20. She got laughed at at Davos though, didn't she? I she remember. got, she got laughed, laughed at at a G7 summit G7, for trying yeah. to talk to yeah, uh, okay, Merkel and uh, Macron and act basically like as if she was a head of state. And there's <laughs> a really funny video out there of them just like looking very confused as to like, why is she here? Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, her, I don't want to discredit her. I mean, she 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 had kind of a, a platform that whenever she went overseas, she would talk about women's empowerment, getting women involved in the economy, get, you know, helping women who choose to work, but also raise kids, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, I, I can see her doing something like that and, you know, running for Senate. You know, maybe she'll run for Senate in Florida, which is te technically her home, you know, her state, um, you know, in, in four, four years or so. But again, she could just decide that she did this for a little bit and she doesn't really want to do it anymore. But um, I don't know. I don't want to make any. Uh, it's tough. You can't make any bold predictions with uh, with this kind of thing.
Yeah. Yeah, no, it's just fascinating. Do you think, so just on that, do you think that that would be kind of her best step to try and get elected first? And then if she decides to go for it, then, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It really reminds me of like the Murdoch story. There was a, I don't know if you, you guys saw it, but on BBC World, they did a documentary called The, the Murdoch Dynasty. And it was Ooh. all about how Rupert Murdoch was going to decide out of his three elder children who was going to have it. And, yeah. it was, and um, I've forgotten her name, but the, the daughter was kind of tipped to begin with. And then he didn't like the way she went. And she would have been perfect, apparently. Like she was the most intelligent, most charismatic. She was the businesswoman, but she kind of took a more liberal view to him. And then she got culled out so it's just interesting to see if it's kind of like similar things but yeah well the the worst kept secret in trump world is that ivanka is Don, donald trump's favorite kid kind of semi fancies her doesn't he yeah and that, that yeah the famous thing when he was yeah. like if she wasn't oh, my daughter i would oh, <laughs> oh. unbelievable unbelievable <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know i mean i think it's 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 a the reason why for that is i think he sees like I don't know. It's like some weird egotistical aspect of like, she's the most capable. She's the most qualified, you know, she's the most, she's the most like me in a way. Yeah. She's him. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Again, I mean, do I think that, you know, trying to use the Trump name with a more moderate approach can, can work. I'm not hundred percent convinced that it can. Mm -hmm. So I'm not I'm not coronated coronating Ivanka Trump as a you know a successful political figure yet. But we'll have to wait and see. Wow. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much to John. That was amazing. And a much more optimistic than um i initially thought so it made me feel a lot better and i'm obsessed with the ivanka thing and now just need to find out if she's going to run or what's going to happen with her and um yeah definitely want to watch out for interesting to see how that one would go yeah i actually read an article the other day that kind of said that ivanka's already trying to distance herself from her family and from the whole political happenings over the last four years she's trying to break away slightly so maybe yeah Maybe John was right. Maybe we could see her run for president in the next kind yeah. of election. That would be. Actually, I don't think. I, I don't know if it will be the next election. I think it will be a little bit in the future. Yeah, but I, I can see it. Yeah, yeah. And absolutely. whether and what side she would sit. I'm going to have to do some digging into things that she said and start analysing everything. Mm, yeah, exciting mm. times though. Yeah, but yeah, it was a fantastic interview. So thanks, thanks, John, for joining us. We we appreciate you bringing us your expertise and having a very good in-depth chat about all things US election, all things Senate, House of Representatives, impact on women in the US, Black Lives Matter movement and all. It was fantastic to hear. It was. And so if you're going to do one thing this week, do us a favour. And essentially, I think the key takeaway from this this uh, episode is that you need to be politically engaged. These things do matter. So make sure you're registered to vote wherever you are. Make sure that when these elections are coming up, your voice is heard because every vote, as we have seen, literally counts. Um, And if it's not counted once, they're going to make it be counted again. (laughs) So make sure your vote is there. And um, the other thing I'm actually going to shout out is watch the um, watch the Murdoch dynasty because you'll see what I mean before when I reference the fact that it's quite similar ah, with the Ivanka thing. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good 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 do us a favour. Yeah, and we hope you enjoy and leave any comments for us. Um, we are on Twitter now, and yes, we feel free get to more follow active on us. that. Yeah, we'll get, 
we're gonna get more active that's our thing over christmas um yes do us a favor podcast d-u-a-f podcast find us hashtag us and we will read your comments with gusto um and you can join us on the next episode see you then bye